Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking, fucking killing, killing Me. I'm Rainy. I'm Corinne. And thank you guys for listening today. This is our last episode for Luminato. Thank you, Luminato, for curating the past month of episodes. It's been an absolute dream. We've yep. really enjoyed it, and mm-hmm. they were wonderful to partner with. It, they were wonderful. The guests that they had come in were wonderful. It was nice to have someone schedule stuff for us. <laughs> and it was, we're very thankful. <laughs> very thankful. Um, we want to say thank another thank you to our newest two patrons. Ryan Austin, who you guys heard, runs the space in Ottawa. Yeah. It's very lovely of him. And Julia Redfern, who is my childhood best friend from Brandon, oh, Manitoba. That's so nice. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> You're the best. We love you. Um, and then we also have two things we want to point you guys to. Social Growls Workshop is this week, and they have open morning classes with Amanda Acorn and live music by Blunt Chucks. It's at the... Citadel. Citadel. Great. Yeah. And uh, I'll be there. Ring, I'll be there. Come say hi to me. Um, Tell me if you're listening. Oh, yeah. We love hearing that actual people listen to it and not just... Robots? Friends. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And not just our friends and my, my mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, $10 cash only, 10 a.m., 11.15. We also want to let you guys know about another show that will be happening all this week. Um, it is produced through Soul Pepper. And it's called The Black Drum, and it's the world's first entirely deaf musical, and it runs June 21st to 29th. And Patricia Allison, who we love with all of our hearts, is one of the uh, members on the team yeah. that's putting that together. Also, I don't know about you, but I can't picture what a deaf musical is going to be like. So Very excited. Yeah, seems cool and yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, and this week... Our last Luminato episode, we have the curator of The Drawing Room, Sally Freider. If any of you guys got the chance to go see The Drawing Room, um, you'll know that it was really wonderfully done. I talked to Sally and then I saw it and it really just felt like it was like um, parts of her all over. Mm. It was like very uniquely her personality and her and it was really beautifully put together. Amazing. Here we go. Hi, I'm Sally Freider. I am an independent curator who is currently based in Southern Ontario. Um, How many works are in Drawing Room? There are 16 works Mm -hmm. in the exhibition, The Drawing Room, and in the tandem installation, there are, I believe, eight eight individual sculptures in that. All from artists within North America? Yes. So the drawing room features works from, I'm trying to remember their names in alphabetical order, uh, Nathaniel Donay, Shelley Nero, uh, Robert Pruitt, and Cyrus Marcus Ware. So Nathaniel is from Houston, Texas. Shelley Nero is based in Brantford, Ontario. Robert Pruitt is now based in New York City. And Cyrus Marcus Ware is, is based here in Toronto. And... The installation um, props um, features works by a Hamilton-based artist, Leslie Loxie Chan. And as I just mentioned, she's based in Hamilton. (laughs) So when you curate this work, Mm how do you do do your research? And then also, how do you decide on which works and which artists go together? Well, um, the way that this show came together was a bit unusual. Um, in the way that I normally work. 
But one thing that I will say is that I was familiar with all of the artists whose works are being exhibited. And Cyrus Marcus Ware was the first artist who was committed to this project. And I had first encountered his work, I think, in 2005, when he was in a group exhibition in or at a space gallery. So I've known of his work for a while, but we hadn't worked together. And um, so I guess uh, Liza Balkin, who's a playwright, um, she had penned a script for this uh, performance that was called Out the Window. And Cyrus participated as a visual artist and he was um, doing live drawings during each evening of the performance. Mm -hmm. So he had already established a history with Luminato. Mm -hmm. And um, so the festival was interested in working with him again. And, and um, Naomi Campbell, who's the artistic director, she was familiar with a body of work that um, Cyrus had produced called the Activist Portrait Series. Right. And so from looking at these pieces, I thought, well, they're large scale, they're drawing based. It would be interesting to invite other artists who produce large or larger scale works um, who also... Um, produce uh, different forms of portraiture within their own work to not necessarily respond, but to place the works in proximity to one another so that they could be sort of having this visual conversation. So that's how that exhibition um, or this exhibition came together. And I think the first artist who I was thinking of sort of who um, worked on a scale that um, was similar in some senses or aesthetically was not necessarily similar but was producing similar but was producing large scale drawings. Um, it was Robert Pruitt. And then I was thinking about Nathaniel Donet's work um, because aesthetically he shares some similarities in this um, he has an ongoing series of they're sort of like two-dimensional mixed-media sculptures, mm. um, but they're essentially they're drawings on brown paper bags, and he adds different materials to them, and they're looking at they're exploring different themes of identity formation and colorism, and then I um, thought of Shelley Nero, and um, because she also has produced a lot of large-scale work, not necessarily in drawing, that I was familiar with, although she she occasionally draws. And she had a series of four very large-scale um, woodcuts um, that were called Resting with Warriors. So I'm sort of bringing in different, I'm bringing in different aspects of the works that um, sort of spoke to each other at different points. But when I was reflecting on all of these artists' works, um, I was thinking about how they all deal with issues of identity and representation, um, but they're not necessarily primarily, um, they don't necessarily rely on drawing solely in their artistic practices, with the exception of Robert Pruitt. So all of them, including Robert Pruitt, are multimedia artists. They work in different um, media, they, anything ranging from film to uh, installation to photography and painting. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to sort of focus in on the um, components of their work that did respond to those themes of being larger scale and dealing with drawing and that sort of thing. 
And then Leslie Loxie Chan's work is, um, she's also a multimedia artist. Um, she works, I don't know if it's unfair to say that she works primarily in film and video, but she also produces sculpture and, and different types of, um, works in different, in different mediums. So, um, she had a very, her works have a very different take on portraiture. They're more exploring ways of, um, I think her, her, the body of work that she's produced in some ways was looking at, um, how, how it would be possible to produce a portraiture of someone without having to rely on an actual likeness. So it was looking at issues of privacy and being present in a public space without actually having to use one's image. So it's sort of in some ways the antithesis of what the other four artists are doing, but they're all connected. Mm. Their works are connected. So when you were thinking about these artists and know that you wanted to put them together Mm -hmm. in this, in the drawing room, was it then you went through their collection and pulled pieces or are some of these pieces um, commissioned? specifically for this? Um, Shelly made, Shelly was the only one who made, uh, two new works, but all of the works from all of the artists had already been produced, including Shelly. So the, um, series of woodcuts that I mentioned that were called resting with warriors, they were produced in 2001, but then she made some new drawings this year. So it's sort of interesting to look, um, to sort of see how their works thematically fit, mm-hmm. um, given the fact that they weren't, you know, producing new works. They weren't really producing new commissions. Right. Mm-hmm. And do all the works focus around the idea of identity and representation, like you talked about? Um, they do, but they, they're all exploring different themes. So Cyrus Mar- Marcus Ware, um, as I mentioned, his works are portraits of activists. Mm -hmm. So it's an ongoing series. And what he's interested in doing is um, representing, I guess the easiest thing to say about them would be that he's drawing portraits of activists in ways that we don't normally get to see them like at ease. Um, They're very joyful portraits. Um, they're, they're sort of focusing on who these, um, people are as individuals, because normally when we think of activists, we think of people in like very, I guess, in states of duress. Um, but he's showing, um, people existing in different spaces. But the other thing that he was hoping that, or that he's striving to do with this body of work is to represent a lot of people who are sort of relegated to the margins of Mm -hmm. society. So he's interested in, um, representing, um, bodies that are marked as being disabled bodies that are marked as racialized bodies that are marked as queer bodies. Um, he's interested in, um, showing, showcasing trans bodies. So, um, but he's doing it in a very sort of, um, he's sort of playing with, um, the idea of historical or monumental painting and historically um i don't know how familiar you are with 
like art history, but I mean, this sort of. I mean, this it's just is one a, course in yeah. first year university. <laughs> well, I mean, into an art history course. <laughs> I, mean, I guess like the ideas that I'm going to touch on, they're not really niche or like that uh, intricate. Right. But you know, historically, um, people who were depicted in portraits were normally like members of the aristocracy. So, yes. so yeah. when you continue to, um, so even say if you worked into a government building, there would be. Um, portraits of politicians, that sort of thing. So it's kind of right. like, I'm, I'm thinking more um, sort of current examples. But what he's doing is that he's uh, depicting people who are sort of normally overlooked in the everyday, but he's using these tropes of historical sort of monumental painting. And so he's saying mm-hmm. these people are also worthy of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all of the artists play with that um, to an extent. So that's, that's sort of a through line through mm-hmm. the works. But... Um, I think, but they have different ways of approaching it. And I think, say, let's see, Robert Pruitt, his work, he's very interested in Afrofuturism and science and history. And so those are things that really inform his work. Um, And so in that way, and his works are primarily of um, African-American subjects. um, But in that way, his work differs from Cyrus's. And then Shelley Nero's work, um, her subjects are usually indigenous subjects. They're, they're, I think her work, is, it's safe to say her work primarily deals with representations of indigenous subjects and indigenous culture and cultural practice and history. Um, but she approaches that in, in myriad ways. So it could be anything from beadwork to film to mm. photography to drawing to printmaking. Um, she's an extremely prolific artist. Like they all are, but she's like extremely prolific. She's <laughs> always producing or working on a new body of work. And um, Nathaniel Donet, um, his his drawings, and here I'm I'm focusing on all of their drawings because as I mentioned, they're all multimedia artists. His drawings are dealing with. Um, they're sort of looking at ideas around identity formation. Um, he's looking at this idea of the looking glass theory, and um, and he's looking at how um, primarily he's looking at how um, the process of identity formation of um, Black individuals in the United States. So. One of the things that he's referencing, I think I mentioned that he uses paper bags as a support. Mm-hmm. Um, he will do drawings on top of paper bags, and he's referencing um, this phenomenon that was called the paper bag test, um, which was um, a practice that was carried out in um, black communities in which um, if someone was determined to be either lighter or darker than a paper bag, you wouldn't have access to certain um, social spaces. So it's sort of like, Mm. I guess, um, exclusive membership that was carried out in country clubs in Canada and the U.S., and they wouldn't admit racialized individuals or Jewish members, but this was practiced solely within the black community. So he's referencing that, but then he's also looking at ideas of... um, time travel and and um space and metaphysics um so again they have very different approaches to how they incorporate drawing into their practices and how they produce drawings wow that's a lot (laughs) 
it is. I feel like I'm not doing justice in terms of explaining all. It's the also hard to explain when yeah. you're not like standing in front of yes, the work. I'm, I mean, I guess I have these cheat sheets here, but then I don't want to be reading and then like uh-huh. kind of get engrossed in them. So you have to go see it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Story. Every everybody should definitely go and see the works because they're yeah. all really um, dynamic, interesting artists. How did you get involved with Luna? Um, I was actually brought on as a producer, and then I was asked to um, curate this exhibition, so I get to be my own producer for the project, (laughs) rather than somebody else's project, so... And this isn't the first exhibition you've curated, or...? No, I've done, I think, just over 50 exhibitions in my practice. Pardon me? Five zero? Yes. Um, So, yes, in in different... um, in like artist-run centers and university galleries and like, right. um, yeah. But this is my first time working with Illuminato Festival. Right. Can we ask about um, your artistic practice besides cu- curating and producing? <laughs> well, this is my corny joke. It's that I make conceptual art projects because I think of art projects that I'd like to make, but I don't actually make them. I don't execute them. But um, when I did my undergrad, I was focused on photography and I did do some printmaking and some video, but yeah, that was, it was mainly photography. Yeah. And did you just fall into um, curating exhibitions? <laughs> How did that happen? Um, well, it's kind of interesting because I wanted to do an MFA in photography. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, oh, I'll do all of these other things because they'll help me to shore up my application. And then I just kind of started moving further and further away from doing it. But I think it was, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but after I finished, after I finished my undergraduate degree, I started working at Curry's at an art store, and then mm-hmm. I started working at the Avenue Road Art School. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a private art school, and it's in Forest Hill. Yes. And uh, Lola Rezminski is the founder, and I started working there, and I started working in the office. And um, and she said, like, one day we were talking, and she was like, you know, I'd like to make you the school curator. And I, I didn't really know what a curator was. And I knew I wanted to work in in galleries, but I didn't actually think about how this would come to transpire. And so I started out, my first, I guess, uh, like my first entry into curating was Mm -hmm. was at the Avenue Road Art School. And I would organize exhibitions of the different either kids um, art classes or adult art classes there. And then um, years later... I was working at the McMaster Museum of Art and I was working in education and then I did, it was suggested that I apply to the Canada Council um, for the Arts. Uh, Ingrid Meyerhofer was the assistant curator at the time and she was saying you should apply to do a curatorial residency because, mm. you know, I would, I guess the way I was talking about art and, and art making, et cetera, she, she you know, was like, this would be a good idea to do or a good thing for me to embark on. And at that point, the Canada Council for the Arts had, um, they had these grants for um, what they termed culturally diverse curators. And I applied and got one of those. And that was sort of the beginning of my, I guess, I guess that was the second phase of my like professional practice. (laughs) But in terms of, I guess it was like the first phase in terms of working with professional artists. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, was there something that you can remember that like really drew you to curating or? Um, I think it was because the way that I approach, um, 
curating is similar to the way that I approached art making. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure the two of you, um, well, actually, I shouldn't be presumptuous, but maybe you get tired of people telling me, I used to take dance when I was a kid. And <laughs> yes. I used to take dance when I was a kid. <laughs> and my older sister, um, she was always interested in drawing and in art, and it informed me, but I was always interested in the arts. And so, um, yeah, I was just, um, I guess I was interested in issues of representation, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I was interested in language and text. And so I just sort of, took those interests, I transferred them to curating. So a lot of the artists whose, this is not solely um, the case, but a lot of the artists whose works I'm interested in are um, exploring uh, sort of conceptual or um, thematic issues that I'm interested in mm -hmm. as a curator. And they were interested, or they were issues that I was interested in when I was you know, involved in the process of of making uh, like objects, um, but those are those are things. And then the other thing that's interesting, and it didn't really happen um, with the way that this exhibition came together, um, was that uh, you for me it's sort of like I have an idea that I'm interested in, and I either I will have either encountered works that make me think more expansively about um, that idea what, yeah, yeah about the concept mm -hmm. or um, there might be artists who I'm interested in mm -hmm. um, I'm who I'm just interested in working with so um, this is not always the case but I'm able to approach artists and we sort of embark on having a dialogue so it's either um, we are literally spending time together in their studio and talking about things mm -hmm. and about the ideas for the exhibition, or maybe it's just, you know, I come up with a certain set of parameters, et cetera, and then they respond and then I might respond in writing. So it's sort of about that. And then what's interesting is, um, for me, and I'm sure this is the case with other curators is the more that I work with artists, um, or either a particular artist or, you know, the more that I work with specific artists, the more that I understand their work in depth. And so your relationship grows and then your understanding of their practice, um, deepens as well. So that's, um, I don't think everybody necessarily works that way, but that's, um, right. something that I've enjoyed. And maybe the two of you have experienced that in terms of who you collaborate with. Like you mentioned that you've known each other since school and like mm -hmm. you, work together and I'm assuming you perform like outside of the capacity of this blog. So I'm assuming you perform together and like, have you experienced that? Has that been the case with each of you in your practice and your work? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Has my experience been, can you repeat the question? Well, I'm, I guess I'm thinking like maybe there's a director or a choreographer who you, um, there are just certain ways in which you connect mm. and, um, and so you sort of begin to, this is, I'm thinking it might be different with dance, but maybe not because, but there might be ways in which you can kind of anticipate the vocabulary that they would bring to. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. To yes. It. And so then, yes, but then definitely. the more that you work with them, then you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I think Rainy, because Rainy and I did a lot of our schooling together and mm -hmm. because we did a lot of. We also worked in a company together in Calgary mm -hmm. that we have spent so many time, so many hours in a studio together that our, like our shorthand with each yeah, other exactly. is like very quick. 
Right. Yeah. Or I can like say something to Rainy and she can embody that. And like, that's exactly what I meant. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. we just have worked for so long together where if I was working with a new person, it would have to probably be much more articulate and much mm-hmm. more direct mm-hmm. or yeah. show examples of my own body before yeah. they would get it. That kind of thing. I think, yeah. yeah. It also just has to do sometimes with not even just like consistently. Sometimes you just click with people, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. Like Mateo, for example, Glinda Torres and I, I feel like I met him and I was immediately like, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if he can feel it says the same way about me, but I feel like, yeah, with Mateo, it was very yeah. clear in my body what he was asking. Right. And other people we've worked with, of course, it's yeah. just easier. Sometimes you love someone's work mm-hmm. and you love the way that they move or that their company moves and that you all, that's all you want to do. And then you get in the studio with them and you're like, this is not how my body works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you just like struggle through it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess with curating, it's a bit, it's a bit different because even if that were to happen, you know, for example, maybe if you don't necessarily click with someone mm-hmm. sort of on a personal level, like you can still have a relationship with their work right. you know, separate from that. And you can still engage with their work. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, I am of the opinion that all of the work that we produce, I remember when I was taking an art history class and the professor would stress to us not to read artists' work through their biography. Mm-hmm. And particularly when it came to women artists, because I think there is a way of essentializing mm, um, their works yes. and their experiences. But at the same time, I think it's impossible to divorce someone's work from who they are. I think I agree. all of what we produce is... it's. The, it stems from something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So in that, I think that, you know, that all work is about identity and like all work is exploring that in different ways. It's just in some ways with some works, it's more kind of overt, but yeah, I think that's kind of, again, maybe to kind of loop back to something that was asked earlier, it was sort of like, I was familiar with these artists and their practices. And mm-hmm. so, um, so in some ways the show, um, came together rather quickly. I think I didn't answer, you asked me this earlier on and I didn't answer it directly. (laughs) Um, there were works that I was familiar with, um, uh, with Robert Pruitt, with Shelley, but she also, Shelley Nero, she also proposed, um, making new work. And, um, I think I'd had a studio visit with Leslie and she had shown me images of, she had shown me a couple of images of, um, these sculptures that she actually made for a film that was called the urge to run a lap. That was, I think it was produced or it came out in 2018. And so some of them, I found them to be like very, um, even though they were two dimensional representations, the materials that she was using in the objects, like she was putting together, say for example, um, she was combining, uh, a wool or a felt hat with, um, what looked to be, like early 20th century skates, like roller mm-hmm. skates, and these sort of, um, you know, odd combinations that were, I don't know, I don't want to use the term quirky. They're very absurd. Like a lot of her work, um, a lot of what she produces are, to me, they're exercises in absurdity. Mm-hmm. And, but anyway, at any rate, I found these images to be very, uh, sort of texturally appealing and they were very compelling. And so then, you know, when I had this idea of portraiture, I, I turned back to those images and luckily she agreed to show them. But, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very short answer to that. And I didn't like fully <laughs> no, that's your direct answer it again, but, um, I have a question when, if you have an idea that you're curating mm-hmm. and you go to artists and do you get no's ever? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm. Um, usually I guess I've been lucky because I would say probably like 85% of them right. have said in my career to date, they've said yes. And some, with some of them, they've said no. And then I've just approached them for other projects, which they've been open to doing. Mm. And, um, sometimes people say no because of, uh, time constraints. So mm. it might not be that they're not responding to the theme, but sometimes they're like, you know, I'm, I can't do that right now. Right. Um, but yeah, people say no. Um, sometimes it can be, like, uh, I should admit this publicly. I hate asking people to do things, um, which is ridiculous because that's like a huge part of my job. Like I can't do my job if I don't ask people to, can you participate in this? Would you be willing to lend this work? Do you feel um, like you're like bothering them when you do it? Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's something that used to be worked out with a therapist or something, but, um, I think that's very but, normal. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so like when you get that, no, Sometimes it's like, eh, and other times it's just like, I'm dying inside, but you you move on. So, yeah, but I, I don't think it's been too, it's usually something like I'm now I'm like trying to think ahead, like think really quickly about projects. Usually it's, you know, it hasn't formed a gap. It's just kind of like with some things, it's just, as I mentioned, it's just onto the next one, right? Mm-hmm. Like onto the next one. You have a list of people that you think would fit and um, you go to the next person. Yes. Or yeah. sometimes it's like, who else could participate in this? Or, and this is, I guess that's usually it's within the context of group exhibitions. So now that I've said that out loud, I'm like probably jinxing myself. Usually when I ask people to do a solo project, they say yes. And we can find a time that's mutually right. agreeable. Mm-hmm. And, um, sometimes with some ideas, yeah, this is like not responding to what you asked at all. Um, <laughs> okay. But usually, I think, again, I think most people are like this, and I'm sure you're like this as uh, cultural producers as well. Like, you might have a project that you're working on um, and something that might take place in the immediate future, mm-hmm. but there are usually also, like, you've got, well, for me, you know what? I should speak for myself. So I'll have ideas for, for things, and then I can think, oh, okay, maybe this didn't work out, but this can work out on this idea that I have, which is somewhat nebulous right now, but, you know, to do an exhibition about X, you know, maybe it will work out in that context. So yes. Right. Yeah. You have the thing you're working on right now and then you have the thing you want to do in six months or in two years. Yeah. Yeah. Or like three months or sure. Yeah. (laughs) Those things way over there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Um, what kind of issues do you have when you, when you show work around, um, sensitivity or I'm looking for the right word. Um, so Alex told us when we recorded with him the other day that Alex Rand. Yes. I love Alex. I know. Everybody loves Alex. I know. (laughs) He said Luminato this year is political with a capital P. Hmm. So when you take on themes that, are very political. Do you run into issues there? My response to that is that, uh, again, I think that all work is political. 
Right. Yes, all work is political. Um, and the artists who I tend to work with, they may not, they may disagree, but a lot of the work that I tend to show by them or the way in which they work, mm -hmm. it gets categorized as being political mm -hmm. with a capital P. Um, so I think the only, I guess there are two things. One is that, um, and I don't know if this is what you're asking, um, so maybe this could be like another sort of discussion, but um, uh, it could be audience response. Mm -hmm. Like if an audience is not ready to um, receive something or do the work of moving through a certain topic or artwork, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but now I've kind of lost my thread of what I was going to say. Um, I think one of the things, one of the things that's a challenge um, for me and I think for a lot of people who are working with race with sorry see look at me with my Freudian slips with when you're when I'm working with artists who are dealing with issues of say race or gender or class or sexuality or sexual identities um the risk that's always run is that um people will flatten it and they won't see all of the um texture or all of the um layers within a work. They won't see all of the subtleties in a work. Um, so, you know, it would be very easy to say that the exhibition that I'm curating is about race. But then again, I can make that argument that every single show that I do is about race, regardless of the racial identity of the artists who I'm showing. Right. right? Um, so I think, I think, um, I don't know, I guess I've been, I don't know how to say this. I, I a lot of the curators whose practices that I look to um, have been organizing exhibitions that deal with a lot of these themes in for for decades, mm -hmm. for decades, for several years. And I think that it's because of the current political climate um, that is unfolding in Canada, I should say in Ontario in particular, um, and in the United States and in Europe, there are sort of, you know, there's this sort of turn towards um, maybe ultra conservatism, uh, sort of right wing nationalist politics mm -hmm. um, that maybe it seems that maybe it's sort of we're more sensitive to um, works that are being produced that are dealing with sexual identities. I would love to go back to the first thing you said about this question. Mm -hmm. um, if an audience is ready to deal mm -hmm. with what's in front of them or not. Yes. Yeah. I mean, sorry. So what does, would you, does, does it happen often where an audience isn't? What kind of responses do you get when they oh. are or they aren't? How do you manage the expectations of them? Yeah. Do you? <laughs> like I, when, when I'm curating, I think about, so this is, this is, this circumstance, it's a bit unusual for me because I'm not necessarily, like when I think about Harbor Front Center, I think about all of the different audiences who 
will go to that campus Mm -hmm. who might be there to go to the power plant specifically or who might be there to partake in Harbor Front's programming. Mm -hmm. Um, So they could be going there for dance performances. They could be going there to spend the afternoon with their family. They could be going to a food festival, that that type of cultural Mm -hmm. activity. They're not necessarily going there to see art. And I know that there are a lot of families who go to that space. So that sort of, um, it didn't inform necessarily the choices that I made, but that was sort of the impression that I had in the back of my mind, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was organizing this show. So I think that, um, I think that, uh, how would I say this? So I think if I were, it's strange because Artport Gallery is an art space. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an actual gallery, um, that showcases, visual arts and then also um they show a lot of contemporary craft practices so i think that i feel like i'm going i'm veering way off in terms of managing expectations i feel that i can't i can't and it's i when i'm putting together an exhibition it's usually that there's um a question that I want to answer for myself, or there's something, there's some sort of, there's a set of parameters for myself that I want to answer. And it's sort of like, (laughs) mathematicians would like dismiss this, I'm sure. But it's sort of like, it's sort of like, to me, it's sort of like working through a sort of equation, or you've got all of this information, you need to make order of it. You need to make some sort of narrative, whether it's linear or it's abstract. For me, that's sort of, I, I need to think about how, um, basically it's a framework, right? But I'm trying to think about, um, again, I guess I'll go back to that. I'm trying to answer a question for myself first and foremost, but having said that, it's not just that I'm in dialogue with myself. Mm-hmm. I am thinking about audiences. I'm thinking about what I would like people to take away from it. What are sort of the central ideas that I have behind this work? How am I hoping that people will experience this work, but they won't necessarily experience it in that way. Right. So, um, there are all sorts of things that you can do, I guess, as a curator, I'm looking across and there are people who are like, working on a roof. I don't know if you can Oh see yeah. That. It's, just like, it's like, oh, that's like interesting. I've never seen people working on a roof in that way. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, like there are certain, oh, sorry. Oh, this is what I was starting to say. You can, you know, produce a text. You can have a wall didactic, which, you know, hopefully will orient people or it will sort of make them aware of some things. Like these are some ideas that you can be thinking of while you move through this space and you look at these works. Right. But um, there are people who won't necessarily read the text. <laughs> right. um, they won't. They won't. Yeah, they won't engage in the material that's being presented to them. Which is, you know, it's okay because there are different ways of moving through an exhibition and experiencing right. artwork. Um, but you can't really, you can't really control it. So sometimes, sometimes it can be disappointing. Um, if you're producing, like if not producing, but if for me, if I'm presenting a work from an artist and I can look at it and I understand that I have a specific, um, you know, type of training in art and looking at art and just even in terms of having relationships with people who make art, Mm -hmm. um, that someone else, a visitor isn't necessarily going to be bringing to work and hence they'll have a different experience of it but it's you know it can be sort of like ah you know like this work like there's so much going on in this work and then people are just picking up on this aspect of it or they're just choosing Mm -hmm. to engage with this aspect of it so then and I guess in some 
I was going to say, in some ways, you think, did you do your job as a curator in presenting in the fullest context? But I'm not, I'm actually not going to take that on. <laughs> um, people, um, I think one of the things that's, uh, I think it's, people can have a range of engagements with art, mm-hmm. right? So you can look at something, yep. whether it's a dance performance or a film or a book, etc. And I think one of the things that's interesting is that we always, not we always, um, I guess in the sort of public realm, we look at art or the arts as being a recreational activity. It's sort of um, a space where people can uh, be receptors mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily have to do uh, the work of producing meaning or engaging with something. Yes. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that can be, it, it, I guess it really depends on how people are viewing. And, and it's not that you, you don't necessarily, it's tricky because you don't necessarily have to be well-versed in the history of dance or to have a background as a dancer. Well, that can help when you're watching a performance, mm-hmm. you can go in and have sort of an emotional response to something, or you can think about, this is what this reminded me of, and this is how I'm interpreting it. Um, but then when people come into spaces and they, you know, they might be, um, dismissive or something or reluctant to engage in it. If they say, for example, if they don't like the aesthetic of something, right. Um, uh, you know, that can be challenging, but I think, uh, there are lots of aspects of life that we like to pretend are not challenging, but they actually are. And and all sorts of things from like walking down the street to going to the store or going into work or whatever they can like, they, they require a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's my very strange stream of consciousness response to that. I think maybe if I were to give a really succinct response, I would say that I can't control someone's response to an artwork. Um, but, uh, I would hope that people with all of the installations that I present, um, I would hope that people would go into them with, with, um, sort of, I guess with the idea of being open and -hmm. that they would take advantage of the material that is there to sort of, um, provide them with guidance to the different ways in which they can think about the work or engage with it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So drawing room is happening at Harborfront Center? Yes, it is, at the Artport Gallery at the Harborfront Center. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's also, I've noticed this too in my own experience of like seeing art in a gallery setting. Sometimes you don't acknowledge what you walk into the room with. Mm -hmm. And that like really affects your bias when you see something. Definitely. And then you like forget about the privilege that it is that you get to see this work of art in a real person. Right. And you're like, mm, I'm bored or I don't connect with this immediately. So I'm not going to look at it anymore. And like you continue yeah, to move around the room. Yeah. I think, um, for me personally, the, I think not, I think the year that I did the first sort of major group exhibition, um, I put out a call for submissions, um, for this project that I wanted to do. And there were two artists in particular whose proposals made me really angry, oh. made me really angry. Um, one of them, uh, 
you know what? I need to like walk that back a bit. One of them, one of the artist's works made me really angry. Mm-hmm. And the other one's work made me very disturbed and really uncomfortable. But that happened to be a year where I was very, um, uh, very like open-minded to new experiences. And, mm. and I thought I need to, if these two proposals are triggering me so much, I should go and meet with these artists to, to try and find out why. Right. And, um, I had studio visits with both of them. I walked out of there loving both of them and I worked with them both multiple times. So their, their works were included in, into the show that I was putting together, but then I also worked with them on multiple occasions. And so I think for me personally, I think that's something that's really, um, important to be open to, Mm -hmm. but it's also something that I would hope that, that people would, would, uh, that visitors would be open to doing as well. Right. Um, So, yeah, I guess I think, I think it, I think it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a sort of weird sort of notion to embark on because I think it is a privilege to be able to engage Mm -hmm. with art. And, um, but there's also sort of work in viewing art and maybe that's not something to stress that people are necessarily ready to hear. It's like, I've done my job. I don't want to think about work anymore. But I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. Have you worked with any um, other curators before on like a joint project or? Yes. Um, I used to be in a curatorial collective called Third Space Art Projects. Mm -hmm. And so we produced a number of like co-curated exhibitions. Right. Um, How important do you think the drawing room is in the Luminato's festival works? I can't really answer that because okay. I'm biased. Right. <laughs> You've been all the like your biased answer. Yeah. Um, I think these artists, they're all really talented and they're very dynamic. So mm-hmm. I think people should come to see it. And also because of, um, I think it's interesting because there's House of Mirrors mm-hmm. and then there's the drawing room. And I think those are the only two visual arts yeah. projects. And I'm sorry if I'm overlooking anyone else's project. So um, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily, um, I mean, Luminato is a performing arts festival, right? And so personally, I'm, I'm a curator of visual art. I think that they should definitely include more visual mm-hmm. art into their, into their programming, but, but that's not necessarily what they're there to do. Now, having said that, I think they are open to, um, to, to doing, to staging more visual arts projects. I don't know. I think that all of the projects are important for different reasons. Right. Um, but it is quite like performing arts heavy though. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think every, every project is important in its own way. Right. (laughs) I don't know. I just think, I think one of the things that's nice about the drawing room, this is like, this is more objective. (laughs) I think one of the things that's nice is that it's not a ticketed event. So anybody it's open to everyone. So as long as the artport gallery is open, people can go in, they can see different types of visual art. They can be introduced. If they're not already familiar with these artists, they can be introduced to the work Mm -hmm. of um, artists who are working within their own city or, you know, within Southern Ontario or within within North America. Because I think um, uh, just, you know, irrespective of my involvement with them as the curator, I think they're all really talented and they're all doing really great things. And there are five um, independent voices that I think 
people would really benefit from engaging with. So I think for that reason, they should go and see the drawing room. But I I don't necessarily think, I can't say that. I can go (laughs) into the office and look at everybody and say, my project is better. Well, and I I don't necessarily, I haven't seen the other projects, right? right? So I can't say that it's better or worse or anything, but I think they're all important for the, you know, various aesthetics issues that they all speak to, but, um, right. But yeah. Right. And it's like another way into the themes that are very important to this year's festival. Yeah. Right? It's another yeah. way that you can get into the art or get into the theme in a different way that might be more accessible for someone else. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> On that note, is being an artist fucking killing you? <laughs> um, I don't think I'm supposed to answer that, honestly. I think sometimes, yes. Yeah. Sometimes, yes. That's funny. I, I feel like I need to make the caveat that like the work that I do, I think I'm a cultural producer and the work that I do is aligned with artistic right. practice, but I feel like I shouldn't, I shouldn't claim the mantle of artists. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But working in the artistic field, I guess a lot of the time it is feeling me. <laughs> That's perfect. That's a great answer. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I enjoyed speaking with you both. Um, Can you give the details of the Mm -hmm. drawing room one more time? Uh, The drawing room will run during the duration of this year's 2019 Luminato Festival. It's being held at the Artport Gallery at the Harborfront Center. It opens next Saturday, which is June the 8th. We're having an opening. It's open to the public from 6 to 10 p.m., and there will be a walkthrough with the artists. Four of the artists wow. will be um, present. I should have plugged that more. Four of the artists <laughs> will be present. So that will be great for everybody to come and hear them speak directly wow. and yes. succinctly about their own works instead of my, you know, stream of consciousness rambling. <laughs> um, so that would be, that would be great if people can come out. And the Artport Gallery's hours are on their website mm-hmm. and they're on the Luminato website as well. So perfect. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so, you so much. much. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Please go follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, if you haven't gotten your tickets for Luminato yet, grab them. <laughs> and use code GALPAL15 if you need a, a discount code. It will give you 15% off of every show except for House of Mirrors and Masquerade. And go see the drawing room. And please listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, basically any place you can get a podcast. Yeah. All right. Thank you.